chapter 7 in our study. We've been in this study for a while, and we're going to pick up today in chapter 7, verse 14, all the way through the end of that chapter together. Now, I told you uh, when we first began our journey through chapter 7, we've been here for a couple of weeks, that um, that chapter 7 is just different than every other chapter in the book of Romans. And it drives biblical scholars nuts. I mean, they have written articles and books and all kinds of things over just chapter 7, trying to figure out why the structure of this chapter is different than all of the others. In the first six chapters, Paul is writing to the church, and he uses terms like you and they and them, and then he he does refer to us and we, but when he comes to chapter 7, he changes to first person, and he talks about I in me. And in verse 15 through 25, it's present tense. So Paul's talking about me in real time. So all these biblical scholars get together and try to figure this out, and they're they're a whole lot smarter than I am. And there are three basic views that most people have come up with. One of those views is that That Paul, as he talks about the struggle that we have with sin, there are some people that would say, well, he can't really be talking about us as Christians because, you know, he's just got through saying that we're free from the struggle of sin. So Paul is probably talking about his life before he became a Christian. So chapter 7 is written from that perspective of Paul before he became a Christian. Others would look at it and say, no, I think he's talking about maybe a carnal Christian. Carnal is a word that's, uh, that Paul introduces later. I guess we could say this. It's kind of a substandard Christian. This is a person who says they're a believer, but they don't walk it out. They don't live it out. And so some would say, well, I think this is really more about a carnal Christian because if you're really walking with God, you don't have these problems. And then the third view is the view that Paul is just saying, no, this is me. I'm talking about a struggle that I have right now in my life. Now, you can go flesh out and and figure out which one of those views you hold to, but my view is that Paul is just saying, this is me. This is a struggle that I'm having. And I think it makes sense because Paul has already introduced in the book of Romans the fact that as a result of placing our faith and trust in Jesus, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Remember what the penalty of sin is? The wages of sin is death death, separation from God. But when we accept Jesus as our Savior, guess what? We don't die. One of these days, you're going to read in the newspaper, Carol Marr died. You're going to see it in the obituary, and you're going to think, oh my, you know, that was our pastor way back when, and look at there, he died. And I want to just say, don't you believe it? Because I'm not going to be dead. I'm going to be more alive in that moment than I've ever been before. Because Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. So Paul said he paid the penalty for our sin. But he also says this. Not only did he pay the penalty for our sin, he's also given us power over sin. He gives us power to say no so that we don't have to sin. I don't have to lose the battles that I lose so often in life because God gives me power over sin. Now, all the way through the book of Romans, Paul as he writes kind of anticipates questions that might be asked and he answers them. I kind of think that's what he's doing here. I think what Paul is thinking is this. I've told you that you don't have to, uh, that you've got the power to overcome sin. 
But some of you are struggling with sin, and so I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that works for you, Paul, but not for me. That works for you. Paul, you grew, I mean, you know the Bible backward and forward. God has his hand on your life. Let me put it in terms that we could express today. You sometimes think that about me. Oh, that works for the pastor. The pastor hears God and he speaks to God and he prays, but he has a relationship with God. He's up here. I'll never be able to attain that. And Paul says, hey, some of you are thinking that I don't struggle with the stuff that you struggle with. So let me just be honest with you and share with you that the struggle with sin is real. It's real, and I struggle with it too. And I think that's what Paul is saying in the text before us. So if you have your Bible, look with me, if you will, at chapter 7. And in this confession that Paul gives, boy, he really reads our mail. He really tells our story, or he does at least for me uh, in this text. So beginning with verse 14, we find these words. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Have you ever been there? Has there ever been a time in your life that you said, you know what, I wanna do this, I'm gonna live for God, and all of a sudden you find yourself doing the very thing you said you would never do. And it's like, whoa, how in the world did I get? And Paul is saying, I don't understand what's going on inside of me. What I'm doing, I do not understand. Because I'm not practicing the things I want to do, and I'm doing the very things I hate. And then he says this, but if I do the very things I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing dwells in me that is in the flesh, or good in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good I want to do, here he comes back to that practical point. The good I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I don't want to do. The thing that I want to do, and I make up my mind, and I make a resolution at the beginning of the year, I'm going to do this, and then I end up Waking up one day saying, how in the world did I get here? I'm doing the exact opposite of what I said I want to do. But if, and he goes on in verse 20, but if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will set me free from this body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's going to deliver me? He said, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, there's about three verses in there that you and I can identify with, and between those verses, Paul kind of gets into the weeds, as he often does, and kind of doctrinally explains what's going on behind the scenes. 
But there are three things that I think might help us understand what Paul's saying. And these are the three things I'm going to give you today. And all of them begin with something that Paul says in the text. He knows. He makes this statement. I know. We know this. And because of that knowledge, he gives us information that I think will help us. First of all, he says, I know the law is spiritual and I am flesh. He said, this is what I know. I know there's a struggle that's going on and the struggle is real. And might I also say to you that sometimes we think if we struggle with sin, that's a sign that God is not there. That maybe I've disappointed God. He's withdrawn. His spirit is not there. His power is not there. And that's why I'm failing so often. Let me just tell you this. If you're struggling with sin, that's not a sign that God is not present. That's actually a sign that God is present. People that don't know God don't struggle with sin, do they? I mean, they just live the way they want to live. If you struggle with it, that's evidence that God is at work in your life. And he's bringing this to mind. So Paul is simply saying, hey, this is what I know. The law is spiritual and I am flesh. About the law, it's good. Now, he's already established that. So that's what we talked about last week. Paul defined for us and described why the law is good. So he is again saying the law is good. Having already established that, he says the problem is not with the law. Well, where's the problem? It's with me. The law is good, and I try to be, I, I try to be good, I try to live a good life. I work hard to do the things that God wants me to do. And, and, and that's the issue. Paul is saying, I, I want to do what the law requires. And get this, he's doing it for the right reason. You remember, we've already discovered that there are some people that try to do good for the wrong reason. Paul has already addressed that. There were some people in the church at Rome that were trying to keep the commands of God because they thought if I do what God asks, then it will make God love me or it will allow God to accept me. They thought they had to earn God's love. They thought they had to earn salvation. And the way you know you're going to heaven is that you do good. You do what God expects you to do. There's that divine set of scales. Long as there's more good on one side than bad, everything's okay. And Paul said, no, that's not the case at all. You're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what he has done. It is through faith in Jesus that we become a child of God. But Paul said, I want to do good. I want to keep the law. Not because I think it will secure a place in heaven for me. That's already secure. Why does he want to do good? Because he's in a relationship with God. Because he loves God. And if we're in a relationship with somebody in love, we want to do things that please them and honor them. And he says, I, I just want to do what God wants me to do because it glorifies him. Because he asks us to do it. Because he wants us to do it. And you know, that brings us all right back to where we live, doesn't it? We want to live our lives in order to please God and to glorify God. We want to live so that, that, that God is honored and fight Satan every day. I, I saw a mug the other day that says it well on this coffee mug. It says, I want to be the kind of Christian that when I get up in the morning, Satan says, oh no, he's up. Well, that's our desire, isn't it? 
All of us want to live the Christian life. All of us want to live for God. All of us want to live victoriously and, and, and to have victory over sin. We want to be holy, but then we get up. And what happens when we get up? Oh my goodness. Through the course of the day, I get up and all of a sudden, things begin to fall apart. And I just want to throw up my hands and say, you know what? I'm defeated. I'm done. I can't do this. But I want to. So what do we do? Well, for most of us, the answer is we just try harder, right? I mean, if you want to live for God, you just try harder. If you want to make sure that you don't sin, then let's try harder. How do I stop sinning? Try hard. How, how, do I, how do I live better? Try harder. How do I please God? Try harder. And we try to live our life. And we come to, to January and we have all of these expectations for the new year of what I'm going to do. And I'm really going to try hard. And, and you know what? That's exactly what the people did before Jesus comes along. They tried hard to live according to the principles of the law. And guess what? They couldn't do it. They kept failing. Just as we do. And Paul in this passage of scripture says, I try hard. And in verse 15 and in verse 18 and verse 19 and verse 20, there's anguish in his heart as he says, I try and I can't do it. Oh, wretched man that I am. What's wrong with me? Sin still seems to rule my life. And that doesn't make sense. Didn't he just get through telling us that we have a new master? Paul said the reason that we can overcome sin is because sin is not our master anymore. We've got a new master. Our master now is God. And as a new master, I have new desires and I have new directions. But here's the problem. The old master's still barking out orders. <laughs> the old master didn't go away. He's still yelling. He's still telling me that this is what I need to do and how I need to live. He's still showing me the old way to live. And you know what I've discovered? Most of us in this room think, well, here's the real problem. The problem is I'm just too weak. I'm just not strong enough. And so we pray, God, give me strength. God, make me strong. Make me a warrior. Make me like Paul. How many times have you prayed, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength, and all this, and you're still fighting, and you're still struggling, and you're still losing, because I want you to understand something. The, the problem is not that you're weak. <laughs> the problem is that you're strong. You think you're weak, and that's the problem. That's not the problem. You're strong. That's the problem. You think you can do it. You think somehow if I try harder that there's some hidden thing out there that if I can ever discover, I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to gut it up and I'm going to live the life. And you're too strong. The problem is not that we're too weak. We're too strong. And it kind of leads us to the next thing Paul says. He says, I know, secondly, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, in verse 18. He said, this is what I know. Nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. Now the danger of this knowledge 
is that we think, well, I'm done. I can't win. I'm stuck in sin. I'll never be free. I'll never be able to defeat this. You can, Paul, but not me. You can, pastor, but not me. All of us have spiritual heroes in our life. People that we look to that somehow seem to have it figured out and seem to be able to, to live life in victory and walk through that. And we hold them on a pedestal to say that they're able to do it, but not me. In verse 15 down through verse 19, Paul is writing about himself. And man, he is in full combat mode. He has acknowledged the fact that he is fully justified. He is made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not about his salvation. He is fully justified. The problem is he's not fully sanctified. The word sanctified means to be made like Christ, to walk like him. So he's justified, but he's, but he's not sanctified. He's righteous positionally. He's a saint as we all are through faith in Christ, but he still sins. And so Paul is talking about this, this it, it, he's really confessing, if you will, that there's an ongoing battle with sin. He's not giving us permission to sin, but I think he's given us permission to struggle. And I think the problem for many of us is that we have never given ourselves permission to struggle. Because you struggle with sin, you think I'm just defeated, no good, there's no hope, I'm nothing. You give up and you throw in the towel and Paul has given us permission to struggle and not give up. What he's ultimately saying to us is that sometimes there is a desire in us and the desire in us to obey is bigger than our ability. Does that, does that make sense? The desire in us to obey is bigger than our ability. It's kind of like the little boy who got in trouble and his mom put him on a timeout. And, and the reason we do timeouts is so that you go over there and you sit in timeout, you think about what you did. And, um, and he actually did. I mean, it, it worked. He, he went on timeout. He thought through what he had done. And, and at the end of the timeout, he said to his mom, do you know my problem? I am not good at being bad. I'm just bad at being good. I'm not good at being bad. I'm just bad at being good. His, his desire was greater than his ability. It's kind of like Martin Luther said on one occasion. He said, I thought I had drowned the old man in me, but I found out that rascal can swim. And he seems to describe the challenges that all of us are facing. In fact, there are some of you that are in this room today and you have fought the same battle for years. There is one area in your life that you have never been able to gain victory over. I mean, the struggle is real and for years you have, and, 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 and for some of you, you've just given up and you've said, you know what? I just don't think I'll ever be able to overcome it. I'm done. And let me tell you the real sad thing. Some of you even question your salvation as a result of that. Some of you are here today and you're saying, I'm not even sure I'm saved. Because if I were a Christian, I wouldn't struggle with that. If, if I were a Christian, I could have overcome that. And, 
maybe I'm not a Christian. I don't, I don't even know anymore. And I'm kind of afraid to die because I don't know, because of the struggle that I've had with, with sin. And I think what Paul wants us to understand is this. Listen to me. You're not alone. And you're not without hope. The struggle that you experience every day is real. Now, the third thing that Paul tells us this, he says, this is the third thing I know. Now, he introduces this, not by saying this I know, but by introducing a principle. And the principle is found there in verse 21. When he says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Finally, I think Paul says here, the war is real. The struggle is real. But the answer is not that you try harder. The answer is not that you rededicate yourself. You know, you, if you've grown up in Baptist circles, you know what I'm talking about is a lot of times we... We either come to faith in Christ, and after we come to faith in Christ, we are called sometimes when there's sin in our life to rededicate ourselves to the Lord. That's great. But sometimes we just, every week, we rededicate. Every day, we rededicate our lives over and over and over again, and we never get any victory. And Paul says the answer is not to, to rededicate yourself. It's not to try harder. It's not just to throw up your hands. The, the solution is a person, not a plan. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. I struggle with this, and there's, I, I've tried everything. How to deal with sin for dummies, and none of it works. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? from this body of sin and death. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the answer. Paul said it's not, it's not a plan, it's a person. The only way to win is to let Jesus do it for us. And now Paul begins to launch into a discussion that he's going to launch into in chapter 8 of how to do that. But in the meantime, he says this. He said there are two laws that are at work in us. There is the law of sin and there is the law of the spirit that is at work in our life. Now, let me explain what that means. The law of sin is kind of like the law of gravity. The law of sin holds us down. In order to fly, you have to have another law that is greater than the law of gravity. And that's the law of aerodynamics. But let me ask you a question. When we exercise the law of aerodynamics and an airplane takes off, does gravity go away? No, it's still there. Gravity's still there. But the law of aerodynamics defies the law of gravity. It's stronger than the law of gravity. It overwhelms the law of gravity and it gives us the freedom that allows us to fly. And the law of sin 
Paul says it's tied to our own nature. But there's another law at work in us. And that's the law of the Spirit. And the law of the Spirit is more powerful than the law of sin and death. And the law of the Spirit can set us free and allow us to live as God called us to live. In chapter 7, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit one time. In chapter 8, he mentions the Holy Spirit 21 times. When we get into chapter 8, he's going to say, this is, this is the law in you that overcomes the law of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The key to overcoming sin is to acknowledge, I'm strong. I'm trying to do it on my own, and I never will. And so, God, I stop. I give up. You have to do it. I yield my life to you. I give you today my heart, my mind, and my will. I surrender to you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to live through me. And suddenly, the law of the Spirit of God living through me becomes greater than the law of sin that resides in me and I fly. It's a daily thing for us. Over the next weeks, we'll talk about that more, but for today, how do I do that? Well, it's, it's, it's like the song that we heard at the very beginning of our time together today in worship. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Not just in the tough times, but in the good times, I need you. And, and, and today I get up, and God, I just want to surrender and yield my life to you. Holy Spirit, here's my mind, my heart, my will. Live through me. I'm yours. And when we do, we're able to walk in the power that we've searched for all our lives. The problem is, some of you in this room are just a little too strong. You're determined. You're going to try harder and make it happen. And let me just tell you something in good old Texas terms. It ain't going to happen. It only happens as we yield to him. And it may be that you're here today and have never accepted Jesus as Savior. Well, you don't even have an option. <laughs> the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you, but he can. If you'll acknowledge that you're a sinner and ask God to forgive you and recognize it's not about being a Baptist or being a man. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship that we can have with God through faith in Jesus. And today, God may be calling you to that. The reason you're here today is that God knew that you'd be here. And he's saying, you know what? I came and lived and died in order that you could be forgiven. I want you to be my child. Would you ask and I will give you eternal life if you'll just turn from your sin to receive me as Savior. And if you do that today, God will save you. Maybe as a Christian, you struggle. It's okay. It's okay. Quit doing it in your own power and yield to his.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to respond. That's what we have now is an opportunity to respond. What are we going to do with this? There are many in this room, boy, we know the struggle because it's real. Some of us have given up. Some of us have walked away. Some of us have somehow embraced the fact that it'll never be for us. But today we've learned it can be as we yield to you. So today, Holy Spirit, would you call us back to yourself? Give us the ability to say, Lord, here I am. I submit to you. My mind, my heart, my will, my emotion, everything, it's yours. Live through me, Jesus. Let me live as you've called me to. And for those that have never accepted you as Savior, may this be the moment that they turn from sin to receive you right now as their Savior and Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, this is that moment that we can do business with God. This is, this is your moment. Um, God brought you here, and there was something that I said today that God wanted you to hear. So this is the moment for you to say, Lord, what was that that was said today that I need to hear? Put your finger on that. And if you will pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to reveal that to you, well, he'll show you. Maybe that he says, you know what? You need to be saved. You need to accept Jesus as Savior. You've been putting that off for years. It's time for you to make the decision right now to receive Jesus. It's time for you as a Christian right now to yield your life to me and let me live through you and quit doing this in your own power and strength. Whatever God leads you to do, would you just bow your head with me? And right now, would you be willing to whisper this dangerous prayer? God, what do you want me to take away from what I've heard today? And Father, I pray that you'll give every person in the room the courage to stand on what you show them right now in this moment. If you're here and have never accepted Christ, would like to receive Christ, I'd love the opportunity to visit with you. I'm going to be right here at the front. If you need someone to pray with you, I'm here as you take these moments to reflect on what God said. at Southcliff Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.